Okay. The long awaited SARS COV2 slash uh, COVID 19 podcast. Well, down here in the Corona Drome. COVID 19 is when you have it. <laughs> Um, yeah, right. SARS-CoV-19 is the actual name of the virus. Right, so the virus is SARS-2. Um, um, <laughs> Noah Colvin-19. Electric boogaloo. I think, um, yeah, I think for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to just state now that um, we're going to use COVID-19 to refer to both the virus and the infection, yeah. um, even though we know that that is not technically scientifically correct. But I think for the sake of clarity, we'll just sort of stick to COVID-19. Definitions yeah. section of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're see, doing it for uh, you people. See index, please. <laughs> now you'll see in appendix one. This is sort of a unusual episode for us, I'd say, because mm-hmm. this is actually our patron episode. However, um, obviously, this is a public moment. portion of the patron episode. Yeah. We've decided that because, you know, this is sort of peak DP content, you know, the global intersection of, of health and capital just coming down to yeah. um, just completely pummel the working class the venn diagram has become one here, right and which is how we see it all the time death panel everywhere but now you all live it <laughs> yes so um, we figured what we would do is you know we've been talking a lot to folks in our discord and friends of the show and listeners and so we've decided that the the most good that we can do right now is to sort of um have a long death panel style conversation about the current state of things and sort of what we know and our ideas about where it's going and what you can do to protect yourself mm-hmm. and to be like a good uh, community member to protect your community and sort of be working towards this. Um, so we decided to make the first half of this public and the second half will be on our Patreon. So if you'd like to hear the full episode, go to patreon.com slash death panel pod. Yep. And you can hear the full thing. Mm-hmm. Now that aside, uh, biz- all business aside, are there any more, um, any more things before we want to get started that I left out? I'm just excited for the first <laughs> pandemic on the podcast, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, to be honest, we've had a couple close calls, like when measles was going rampant last year in New York City. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, but... Uh, Thank you, anti-vaxxers. Yeah, that, that <laughs> didn't quite... Uh, that was sort of like a, a localized epidemic. That right. was an outbreak, actually, not even an epidemic, technically. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, now we're just in full-blown pandemic, right? This, but this right. also sort of feels like, um, you know, the sort of season finale where all of the characters <laughs> from the prior episodes of the show <laughs> are now like, we've got the... That's true. We've got That's C- like so Seema true. Verma's there. We all know CVS folks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then Don't We Love It? And then we've also got, I mean, my favorite... Walmart. Uh, by far, by far, we have the price gouging guy, the guy who thinks that he's 
doing a public service by price gouging because he's like <laughs> read Milton Friedman once. <laughs> right. Well, you know, when so you good. say when you say price gouging, Phil, you're not taking into account the immaterial labor that he put in in thinking of the idea to gouge his fellow citizens as he drove around <laughs> to so. every store in a rural area, depriving all of his friends and neighbors of access to cleaning supplies that they might need. Oh, near we're their talking home. about the hand sanitizer guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that's Noah that's funny. Colvin. I thought you were for a second. I thought you were talking about like I don't know Gilead or something. Um, but <laughs> oh, this is just the small scale version, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, but so it's almost like sweeps week for us, right? Um, oh yeah. Not yeah. to not to make light of it. I mean, this is absolutely abjectly horrible, and I think a lot of people are like really downplaying the significance of this, uh, which is I not great. Just got off the phone my with mind. my parents, who were just like, oh, "We can go out to dinner, right?" That's yeah. fine, right? It's mm-hmm. like maybe okay, not. No. Maybe don't. Maybe, yeah, maybe don't. I mean, to be honest, like I've been really enjoying the content from my favorite uh, critical emergency medicine mini podcast and blog, which I shared with Artie this morning, um, which just covers all things like emergency medicine and palliative care. There's also the Palm Crit blog, which has been really popping. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say doctor's advice: do not go out to dinner. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure most doctors would agree with me. Stay home if you can. The more people that stay home, the better for this yeah. situation. Um, so should we go ahead and just like do our regular intro? Like, yeah, do yeah, an intro. I have a couple different jokes for this one. I hadn't totally picked which one yet. Just roll um, through them all and we'll pick one. Okay. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's the way to Take go. Take one. Sure. <laughs> okay. Take one. Welcome to the Death Panel, a production of Burroughs Welcome, because, hey, maybe AZT will work on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Deep cut. I like that one. Ow. Damn. All right. Next. Um, <clears throat> take two is... Welcome to the Death Panel, the official podcast of Gilead Sciences. Gilead, <laughs> you trust us with Truvada. Why not COVID too? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, the other ones are Welcome to the Death Panel, a production of Princess Cruises. Oh boy. <laughs> and Welcome to the Death Panel, your voice inside the Federal Reserve. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. Well. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, I would highly suggest becoming a patron and leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Again, if you want to hear this entire episode, patreon.com slash death panel pod. Okay, so uh, I think the theme of this episode, and we've joked about this a lot, is that, um, you know, Rahm Emanuel was very famously um, critiqued for saying never waste a good crisis during the 2008 financial crisis. One of his many witticisms. (laughs) Oh, yes. And of course, his brother, our good friend, Zeke Emanuel, eugenicist supreme at Penn, has penned a bunch of op-eds about why the United States might need to start rationing care, um, just like Italy. So keeping in mind the fact that the Emanuel brothers really have this whole situation figured out, we're going to go ahead and address this Um as if we had the power they had. Yeah, how right? not to waste a good crisis. Right. Yeah. What do we always say, folks? Don't waste a good crisis. All right, let's go ahead and just get this out of the way. This is happening. This is no longer an issue of containment. Yeah. Um, anyone that is trying to tell you that it's not happening or it's not been allowed to just spread unchecked for weeks, 
um, is probably doing their best to suppress information in order to protect the markets like the Trump administration. Yeah. Or is just flat out like misinformed. Mm-hmm. Or scared and in denial. Yeah. You know, easy to be misinformed right denial. now and easy to misinform. Yeah. Exactly. And easy to be in denial, probably. I mean, we've seen I think that like especially if you're someone who doesn't really think about health a lot or something or if you're someone who, you know, doesn't like doesn't know a lot of like sick or disabled people or like elderly people who have health problems, for example, if like that's not something that you think or care about a lot, then probably uh, for the most part, you've like most of in fact, like most of your adult life will have been spent with, uh, you know, seeing constantly these, these things of like, Oh, like there's like Ebola's here. There's like, we had the SARS, uh, the SARS situation in like 2003 and like that, those things didn't materially impact the United States, uh, mm-hmm. in ever the same way as this already has. So I think that, I think there's just like a lot of, it can't happen here happening. Well, yeah. Here. Yeah. And and like the cognitive scripts that people have actually was just talking to our our mutual friend, uh, David already, uh, about this the other day. He's like, you know, it's people, all they have is really like disaster movies about outbreaks. And, you know, that's why like contagion is now like, you know, like the, whatever top movie or something on Netflix. I've actually never like, seen it too. Neither <laughs> have I. We should do a watch but party special episode. We should. Yeah, that'd be good. But in general, if you, if you think about disaster movies that they, they often, I always think of Dante's peak, but, uh, <laughs> but like, like the, the, the plot of disaster movies, like things do not get, things are not, um, no one sees it coming. No one trusts, uh, that anyone will do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And in the end, like the success or like the, denouement of the movie is rarely like and we avert crisis averted it's like well (laughs) we're we're screwed but like hey we came together you know in some vague way and (laughs) that seems to be sort of the boris johnson administration's approach to how to handle this in the uk is listen folks a lot of people are going to die. Yeah. What did let's you say? do like, our best. <laughs> it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to spread. So let's it's just let it sw- rip through the population. Through the population. Yeah. yeah. Um, and take who it may. And that's like, uh, boy, wow. I don't know. Too <laughs> bad we don't have Corbin right now. But um, I guess if we had Corbin right now, then probably like... Probably in like mid January, Trump would have imposed a travel ban on the UK as opposed to <laughs> leaving the UK. Again, seems like a great idea to leave the UK out of uh, the out of the. Which I, I, you know, I don't think I think that that the the air travel ban is stupid to begin with uh, and yeah. and just harmful. But like well, the but to sorry uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I just want to say one thing, which is that like very stupid to uh, literally leave the exception to be the UK, the one place which where the established policy is essentially like, well, you're fucked. You're on your own. Like, right. let's just let this happen. I mean, well, also the one, the one place where the most flights connect through, like, you right. know. <laughs> God uh, I mean, realistically speaking, um, if we had done this like ban on international air travel, other than in like immediate emergency circumstances or to return home to your country of origin or residence in December, this might've done something mm-hmm. if it was a right. collaborative global right. effort. But that's um, just nativism. This is too little too late and an ex- like an excuse to implement some of the incredibly ridiculous border policies that Trump has been angling for this whole time. Yeah. Which is kind of a theme of his response at this point. Right. Yeah. So, We're going to sort of go over a bunch of aspects of this. This is going to be a long one, so strap in. Um, And we're going to kind of talk about sort of 
where we are in the COVID pandemic, what it sort of like represents within like our current moment, read the election, mm-hmm. read like the global situation. Um, you know, some of the misconceptions, misinformation and outright misleading things that are happening, mm-hmm. um, ways that you can be a good community member or help other people and protect yourself, um, as well as, um, you know, just sort of the actual real meta conversation, which is this is a conversation about capitalism and the cruelty and failure of our current global system. Yeah. Right? Ooh, also authoritarianism. Oh, yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. That too. <laughs> Well, and like sort of, I think also sort of the um, the opportunity that this provides to for making very explicit the things. Um, you know, I was we were B and I were talking about this last night, and I realized that it's you know it, it's interesting in some ways. You know, we have this uh, actual global pandemic coming down on us in the United States, um, and you know, obviously globally, you know, again global pandemic, but like hammering the United States looking likely to hit it much harder than, you know, if you think now, as we'll get into, if you think now is bad, just wait for a couple of weeks from now. It's it's not, we're at the stage where it's clearly not going to get better soon. Um, but like, if you, if you think about this, we've had only, only just in like 2008, you know, we had recently like a financial crisis. We are on the brink of having a pandemic and a financial crisis at the same time, which I think offers an opportunity in a way because unlike a financial crisis alone, which is just sort of an abstract thing, sort of for, mm-hmm. for some mm-hmm. people, uh, or like it, it, you know, people materially feel it, but it's like, as this like second order thing, there is also like a physical material threat Mm-hmm. Uh, to a lot of people as part of this with having a pandemic as part of it and seeing the government response to that and imagining the kind of social programs that could exist and that we should call for, I think will end mm-hmm. up yes. being a huge part of this conversation. Well, mm-hmm. I, and I think I want to, I want to emphasize something that like you will see, I think we will see in the next week or so calls for somehow that it's somehow inappropriate to make this moment, a moment of politics somehow. Mm-hmm. Right. To which, which is, and they, and the thing is those calls will come from seemingly well-meaning people, but this is wrong. Those people are misguided. <laughs> they're not bad people. They're just misguided. Some of them some are bad them, people. Some of them are, some bad, of them people. are bad people. <laughs> but some, but, but, but it's misguided because there are bad people. Two on things, sides. two things. One is when you look at a crisis, what you're looking at is like a reagent to a compound in chemistry. What you're looking mm-hmm. at is the actual underlying health of mm-hmm. a governing set of governing institutions and an economic system. That's what you're looking at. And so to say that somehow we have to evaluate this moment only as this exceptional public health event uh, is to really ignore the things that affect uh, the response, including in real time, including like the social relations and the economic relations people have to one another in real time. The other thing to say is that like in the absence of saying how or or articulating a vision for how this crisis could be addressed in a way that differs from this, what we've been doing that led us to this point, other frames, other interpretations are going to come in. And those frames and interpretations are going to be not necessarily the ones that you want to see. And so Mm -hmm. like the absence of actually jumping in and saying, here is, here is what is necessary uh, here is what would help us actually alleviate the situation. Uh, you just 
you not only like forego a so-called opportunity or like making the most of a crisis, you're also Mm -hmm. just not uh, doing what is necessary to remediate, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, we're, we're in a situation where almost like every institution um, other than I would say like individual hospitals and, and single actors is sort of working against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no mm-hmm. coordinated collaborative response, not even between like all the states on how like how and what to do with their primaries. Like yeah. the, the UK had a unilateral response and they decided to across the board postpone elections. Right. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and whether that's a good thing or not is is another conversation. But the fact of the matter is that the United States is so much more fragmented than any of the other countries that is currently dealing with this and so much more privatized. And so we're sort of like, and I'm not trying to freak anyone out here. I'm just saying that like a lot of the responsibility for this response is going to fall on everyday people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is our responsibility to step in and take care of each other and work on this together because clearly we don't have a lot of federal support, let's say, right? you know, and short of sending in the National Guard, um, like there isn't really a lot they can do at this point. The the work that they could have done to mitigate this was stuff that they should have been doing weeks and months ago. And to, and to the extent that you see, um, you know, a- attempts from the federal government, especially to uh, create or, and not even just the federal government, because also like, you know, all, all the way on down, basically like. Uh, states and municipalities do seem to still be, you know, even when they can maybe if they looked a little closer, clear, like it's clear as day that like the CDC has been either behind or giving contradictory information from things that like the WHO has been able to figure out about uh, the virus so far. Right. Right. Like the but you have even things like, you know, um, Bill de Blasio here in New York City taking his sweet time to uh, make any sort of like substantial declarations about uh, the degree to which people should be doing the like quote unquote social distancing or the degree to which like certain things should be shut down. And it's very transparently in order to like protect New York's economy as -hmm. opposed to its people. Right. I mean, if you think about this, like so um, three of us here are in New York City who are recording today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Friend of the show and contributor Charlie Mark Brighter is quarantined in Queens and cannot be on the show until this passes because Charlie records in our apartment and Artie and I are in isolation to protect my immune system. You know, these are decisions that we had to make by ourselves because even though all of a sudden, you know, as soon as people were actually tested in New York state, we balloon to like the highest amount of infections in the country, like overnight over this past weekend, the city took till uh, end of day Thursday to ban groups of like ban anywhere that's open and has more than 500 people at a time, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, well, these are decisions that we started making at the beginning of last week, days before the city started giving any direction or indication as to what people should be doing, you know? And, and ultimately like now Bill de Blasio is spending more time on Twitter trying to refute rumors that Manhattan's Manhattan closing. will be quarantined or has already yeah. been quarantined as a whole. Um, Meanwhile, people are being... This is not being... an escape from New York situation. This is not... <laughs> you are not Kurt Russell. Stay in your home if you can. <laughs> Otherwise, please go make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if I mean, can, it's like... If you can make money from home, best case scenario. Well, and, and I think it's like pretty obvious that this entire like response narrative of like how to be like a good community member and protect yourself and your family by 
telecommuting is geared at one class yes or mm-hmm. one yeah. set of of worker and sort of ignores all of the people that serve that class of workers like mm-hmm. domestic workers mm-hmm. and food service workers and even like teachers or you know healthcare workers who are maybe non um like non-medical related right, right like yeah. mm-hmm. you know all the billings people like they can't telecommute right What are they doing? Are they sitting in that hospital making sure that the hospital can charge everyone up the ass for their $1,300 COVID test? Is that really responsible of us to be forcing those people to go to work just to cash that money in in three months? Like, If only there were an extremely uh, popular public policy uh, proposal being floated right now that would make it unnecessary for so much insurance billing to be happening (laughs) at hospitals. Can't imagine what that would be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so should, we, should we get into that and other uh, proposals for uh, for? Well, well, UK has just been added to the travel ban. Breaking news from AP. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So maybe we should start with like talking about some of the stuff going on domestically. Yeah, I yeah. think that we should sort of like front load a couple of just recent things first. Like we touched on the elections thing. But the stuff that is like developing and has just developed in like especially the last 24, 48 hours, we should front load and then we can always return yeah. to in more detail later. But like, yeah. right. we should, so let's try and do that. I guess maybe before we get started, like it's worth saying that um, if you're not going to make it through this whole episode, then the one thing that I'd like to impart to you is I don't care if you have a really hard job and you never get time off. This is not vacation time. If you have the luxury of being home, you need to do it for everyone's well-being. Yeah. Especially in New York City. I know we have a couple thousand listeners here in the city. So friends, if you can telecommute, I know you might be worried about getting stir crazy or you might be excited to be able to go hang out at the bar on a Monday night without consequences. But literally anywhere where you're like in a space where you can't be at least six feet away from the next person is a problem. It doesn't matter if you're healthy. It doesn't matter if you're not worried about dying from contracting COVID-19. That's not the point. It's not about your personal health. We're not trying to like do what the UK is trying to do and get herd immunity. That's not going to work with the because yeah that's not a thing we still don't know if people can be reinfected or not that's unclear so what needs to happen is the fastest way we can slow this down is for everybody that is able to to self-isolate as much as possible yeah right and and disinfect stuff take precautions right because if you feel healthy or you look healthy or you don't have symptoms yet you can still be a carrier and at minimum this thing lives for four hours on surfaces at yeah, minimum upper end is like 20 hours so that's just an estimate right. but four yeah. hours is long enough to be a problem yeah, four hours a is problem. a long time right you know it might not sound long but just imagine four hours on an nyc subway car right. how and, many people and, touch that and we're not just trying to be bummers here like as we go through this it'll it'll make probably even more sense uh like and one of the reasons we're even doing this is because you know uh, I'm sure like one of the things I was alluding to being kind of like frustrated by the response before. And I didn't even just mean from like, cause Phil immediately went to like talking about talking to his parents and, uh, we, you know, we talked about the federal response, but also just in general, like the, uh, you know, we understand that a lot of, uh, like a lot of places that people go for to for like news and commentary are still mostly cracking wise about like Corona beer. Uh, et cetera, right. or whatever, like those types of jokes. And like, um, that's fine. We'll still make jokes, uh, et cetera. But like, 
uh, it's important not to minimize. Anyway. And uh, yeah, I think it's also worth stating that if you have not tested positive for Corona or are not trying to get tested tested for Corona in the first place, right? Like, please do not make jokes online saying you've got the corona. Um, this was right, a yeah. huge problem during both the SARS, MERS, and H1N1 outbreaks. Is that It became such a joke to say that someone had H1 bird flu or swine flu or, or MRSA or yeah. SAR, MERS or SARS. Like, that's a problem because it minimizes the idea of the disease and the virus in people's minds. Right. So part of the thing is, like, if you have tested negative for all flus right and you're trying to get tested for covid i understand that it might be frustrating but you should not be saying that you have covid you should say that you need to be tested and you need to know right exactly and until you know you're going to assume and follow protocols as if you had covid yeah but do not say you have it do not self-diagnose because public understanding of this needs to remain intact for us to get through it Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and And the only way that happens is through insisting that we need more testing if people start to say well i have it and i haven't been able to get a test but so i must have it then we're gonna lose the leverage we need to push for the testing we need you know what i mean that can that can build onto the public demand for testing as opposed to basically creating a situation where we have like a bunch of hypochondriac self-diagnosis you know and beyond that like we have a right to be tested and the more that we push that we have the right to be tested and the more that physicians and providers push for that right which will make their jobs easier right Mm -hmm. the better but if we start just assuming and saying okay well i must have covid i'm just gonna treat it you know instead of being like i need to know i want to know it's a problem you know what i mean like it's going to lessen our our leverage and our ability to really push for adequate testing like you're seeing in south korea and australia which is having real impacts on lessening the not lessening but like dulling the progression of like weekly increased infections right Mm -hmm. so they've like been able to keep steady the number of new infections and that's our goal so do we want to talk about the recent events stuff let's 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 go let's roll back a bit to sort of cover like what's going on now i just wanted to get that out of the way in case anyone just turned the episode off right um so there have been some incredibly sort of troubling um like secondary events that have happened along with this i think the first one i'd love to get into is that the louisiana primary which isn't until april 4th Uh, has been been, yeah postponed and effectively with no no date of in yet i announced. think they postponed it by two months yeah i think it's until, technically until june put it past the uh put it past the, the like limit i think right of like when when these primaries are supposed to actually occur right yeah and so this is something where I, i've actually did a search last night for what have states been doing that have remaining primaries i think they're about 22 mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. and um so the good news, I suppose, is that Louisiana is the only primary state that has, you know, at this point officially done that kind of pushback. Wyoming also might be leaning in that direction as well. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bigger problem to me is even if you have states that have primaries and they don't push them back. And in fact, there are a lot of laws and regulations that prohibit states from doing that, mm-hmm. um, except if there's something really like there's like an earthquake on the day of the election kind of thing. Right. Um, but even in those states that, that don't make that choice, 
there's still going to be barriers to having what we might think of as a, a free and fair uh, election, mainly because there's, I think if people follow public prescribed sort of public health regimens, there's already a short, there's, first of all, there's already a shortage of poll workers, right. number mm-hmm. one. That's even before COVID. Now there's really a shortage right. and a skeleton crew. Um, number two are already, there's already, as we saw in Texas, inadequate polling facilities, right? Not enough sites right. to make that community spread risk low. Mm-hmm. Um, three, inadequate sanitary supplies uh, to help keep the polling places that are open, you know, clean. And then right. four, the information that's going out about when you can request an absentee ballot and the sort of widespread access and awareness that like absentee ballots exist mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is is insufficient. And I think that's, now I'm not saying this is how it's going to be in all of these states, but we need to see a response from election commissions and public health officials working together to try to deal with this like right now, because, mm-hmm. you know, public health is really important. And I'm not saying like, uh, well, obviously we should just like throw caution to the wind and like have all these things. No, but elections are also really important. And if you set a precedent for being able to just casually delay uh, elections in the face of something like this and not take steps to allow them to proceed, but right. in a way that's safe. Right. That's really dangerous. And of course, people are really worried. Is Trump going to like cancel the general? He can't cancel the general Congress. It takes an act of Congress you know, to, to do mm-hmm. that. I think that's, that's not necessarily, you know, the same kind of, uh, risk, but I think if you don't deal with this in an effective way, even if the elections go on, turnout could be really, really low. Oh yeah, for sure. And right. so that's, that's just something that like these like secondary pres- and tertiary things are really important. Right. Uh, presumably also like Louisiana has spent a ton of money already advertising like the date of the election and it's been you know, uh, announced. For, I don't know. It's well, actually, no, they've yeah, spent a ton of money election. If you're but. talking about a different state, maybe. Although, yeah, in exactly. general, in general, though, like uh, whether it's like you know advertising the date or not, we do know that when you move the dates of primaries, even when it's like uh, cycle to cycle, right? Uh, right? I remember actually, Phil, you posted a great thing about uh, turnout that happened in Wisconsin uh, recently for a local election that like they had moved the date. Um, from the previous election and turnout was down uh, to like a fifth of what it was in the yeah. previous cycle. When you, when you like move uh, right. national primary, presidential primaries, like turnout in like the mayor's race that's mm-hmm. scheduled on the same, initially scheduled on the same day and then you move it, it goes, it goes down obviously because you, you these are like lower, local elections are like lower information, lower turnout races. But, right. um, but I guess the, the point here is that like, just like my parents asked me the question about going out to dinner, just like there being any kind of consideration about um, scaling back our response on something like paid sick leave or like a, a compromise position on paid sick leave. Mm-hmm. There are these intuitions and assumptions that like guide actions during normal non-emergency times mm-hmm. and they have, mm-hmm. they die hard, right? Mm-hmm. There, it's, it's, it's culture switching doesn't happen uh, quickly. And that's also the kind of thing that creates real, uh, real uncertainty, uh, Mm -hmm. when, when, uh, those kinds of, when, when, when there's a sort of lag, uh, between what we want to do or what feels most natural to do and what is actually necessary to protect, uh, Mm -hmm. our health, but also like, uh, the basic institutions of democracy. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and we're, I think we're, think we're, we're probably all in our own lives, like seeing that right now where like, 
they're, you know, everybody knows like a range of people who have different instincts. And at the moment when like guidance is so poor from any uh, like trustworthy institution, um, people are sort of like acting, you know, in in the way that they're inclined to act. And like everybody's sort of, you know, barometer for like, okay, it's time to like stop doing stuff is like totally different. And I'm sure like all of us have experienced and you know many of you out there like know people who are like still going out and doing stuff and Mm -hmm. and also people who are like you know scouring the internet for bullshit cures you know so for like uh i guess we i guess uh based on what has just what we just discussed none of you have i guess i'm the only one who's seen contagion uh yeah but in that movie there's a character uh, played by Jude Law, who's like basically who becomes a famous. He's like a he's basically like a YouTube Doctor Oz. Oh, uh, okay. He convinces a huge portion of the population that uh, this drug for Scythia, which he also happens to sell, is a miracle cure. Oh, I've seen um, screenshot. I've seen like stills of mm-hmm. him like put in a full like hazmat suit, putting flyers under the yeah, right. uh, windshield wipers of cars. Very cool hazmat suit. <laughs> yeah. I, want, I want a copy of it, that hazmat actually, suit. Actually, though, the way the helmet is on it is like totally. I've ne- no, it's, it's, dumb. it's totally fake. Yeah, yeah no, it's like- no, it's super, it's super fake. It's just, but it's made to be a, a very near future, uh, like a sci-fi hazmat suit. But yeah, I'm just I mean, gonna say though, next next season's fashions just. Be ready for. Oh like, yeah, it's all gonna to be, be hazmat shit. All hazmat yeah, related. Balenciagas. So. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna get in trouble for having like uh, Balenciaga makes light of the COVID deaths with new ad campaign. Right. Um, well, but, but I think it's worth. Sorry, back to seriousness. I think it's worth like noting that we are in this like. I think Phil, you're, you were alluding to this too that like we are in this like sort of like weird in between time when like there is like a culture shift happening and it's happening at different times for different people. There's, I'm assuming that there's just like a lot of friction, you know, involved in that, like at this moment, I think it's going to have to get a lot worse before a lot of people take it seriously. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. The, the thing is like, so I want to throw a little wrench into our conversation about the Louisiana primary, but um, you know, I've seen some sort of like mixed takes on this. Like, I think my first inclination when I heard was like, well, this is, not good. You know, we should be doing everything we can to allow these things to proceed like and elections, in my, you mean? elections right? Yeah. Or primaries or whatever. My, in my mind, the right thing to do is sort of immediately shift to, towards like a Washington state model where you have like yeah. all mail in yeah. voting. Um, but I've also seen um, a lot of takes from people like all over the political spectrum, like center lib to Virgil, Texas of Chapo trap house actually say that, their their instinct is to be like preserving the idea of fair and free elections by postponing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of the British model of managing this is the way to go and that other ways of doing it, any sort of last minute changes to the structure of the primaries could like undermine our trust in democracy and the voting process and blah, blah, blah. Like, And part of me is just like really frustrated because when you hear people talk about postponement that to me just indicates a lack of understanding of how long exactly this could be lasting for yeah exactly yeah because i think phil your point about the like yes obviously in a way virgil is right and that the priority is to preserve the integrity of fair and free elections Right. right but phil i'd say that you're more right in that 
the biggest component in that is to continue on schedule. Free and fair elections. Free yeah. and fair I mean, elections. Via existing again, free and fair voting methods, right? Oh, right. And this is the thing is that, again, what we're taking a, an index of here is not the not just the scale of the of the emergency, but we're taking an index of how potentially weak our underlying institutions are like, you know, you ask the question of like uh, the changing of why is it problematic to like change the method of an election? It's problematic in part because when was the last time you got really great, clear information about methods of election or like, you know, very, you know, the now in different States that might not be a problem. California, I used to, you know, used to live there. A lot of good communication with voters on actually too much on, you know, methods of election. And like you get the full fiscal analysis of every ballot measure and everything in your in your mailbox, which is great. Preview for your ballot is like a it's like a phone book. You could kill someone with it. But, you know, it's but the in a state like Wisconsin, uh, as as good as our election commission is, the method of getting registered and, and finding things out about elections can still be really, really confusing for a lot of people. It's not just like people who are have a passing or passive interest in politics. It's people who are active voters find it confusing. So right. I, I think that like the if, if an emergency permits us to do anything at all with with emergency authority and, and the like, it should permit mm-hmm. us to rethink the way that we communicate with voters about a lot of things, Hell including yeah. and especially perhaps elections. Right. Mm-hmm. Then maybe it's a good idea if we're just really, really explicit and really, really good about communicating how people actually do the thing that is the core of democracy. Totally. I don't know. It's a crazy idea. Hey, no, that's a, that's exactly a good point. Don't waste a good crisis. This is an opportunity <laughs> for us to vastly improve, you know, voter legibility and access, right? Yeah. I mean, the other thing we have in terms of sort of in the same vein of being an inconsistent and unreliable panic-inspiring response, we have a series of press conferences that, is, that have happened this week with President Trump that have gone Ooh. from... Weird to bizarre, oh, I'd man. say, yeah. um, to unhelpful. That's sort of the range. <laughs> all basically all unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say, say all. They're all different flavors of unhelpful. There's oh, like the-, the rambling crazy. Then there's the just leaves in the middle. Then there's like spews a bunch of misinformation and leaves in mm-hmm. the middle. <laughs> well, yeah. I think it's also worth noting that Joe Biden did do a weird live stream this week too. That he then also walked out of in the middle. Yeah. As well. <laughs> Oh man. Well, he's that I was mean, a lot. Yeah, he's he's bad at tech. He was uh he's, he's bad at getting <laughs> to put it mildly. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the Trump press conference was really interesting cuz it was sort of this cavalcade of like public private partnerships that they were mm-hmm. uh vaunting. That was the big message, right? Yeah. Um that well because also, you know, we have things, what, what was it, was it, was it a czar or was it another one of the health officials who said like, yeah, I'm surprised that we didn't see, you know, I thought initially, uh, that the, the private sector would just jump on this as an opportunity, uh, <laughs> without us having to, having to, uh, tell them to, and, uh, they didn't. So now we're announcing about, you know what I mean? Like, I really, um, I really thought the invisible hand was going to work on this one, but for some reason it didn't. Right, yeah. I vaguely well, tweeted about that- it two weeks ago and nobody took me seriously. <laughs> well, did you guys notice that the timing of the press conference yesterday? No. That, that no. The press conference was going on sort of like close to the end of the trading day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so like early on in the press conference, Trump, first of all, the press conference is 
perhaps thankfully not mostly Trump speaking. It's all his, you know, his cavalcade goodness. of uh, Walmart, CVS, uh, Roche, uh, you know, just the, the cast of characters on just sort of vague things about inspiring confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, all of these sort of questions are raised. Trump's statement is, you know, we're going to have Google. We talked to Google. They're going to have a website. <laughs> it's going to happen very fast. Unlike websites. <laughs> like, I guess past. they didn't talk and, to and them. And then Google's Google's like, like, we like don't Vista, know what he's, he's like, we right. don't know what he's right. talking about. We're not working on anything. Well, I think right. also Google's the, like, it's going to have to happen really fast because we just heard about it right now. Right. And I think that right. line was like also a dig against the ACA website specifically. It's right. not going to be like Lord. websites of the past. I, that's the only interpretation I can think of uh, of that because he seems to be like a little bit stuck in the loop of being like uh, his presidency is a response to the policies of Barack Obama or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Right. And of, of course, so he says all these really positive things that, that can't necessarily be easily fact checked in real time. So the press conference ends the trading day or sorry, the trading day closes, then the press conference ends and then it's revealed that like no actually google and what is it um verily i guess is the kind of spinoff like yeah yeah they have like google a pilot thing maybe that's sort of happening kind of and that's actually the case for like a lot of things that that were said uh during right. the uh the press conference so yeah. it's like clearly we understand what matters here which is inspiring uh a sort of better end of the trading day uh, for the various indices yeah, uh, and not to the point, communicating accurate public information to the point right. that he sent out uh, a signed uh, image of the stock market uh, rebounding to a bunch of his supporters. I don't yeah. know if you caught that. Yeah. So stupid. Yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah. I, yeah. I want to, I want to make a point. I mean, well, I don't know. I want to make this point about like, their handling of this whole situation has just been like so deeply troubling in a very unsurprising way. Not only because like, you know, the sort of like conservative philosophy of like personal responsibility would dictate that like, if you get sick, it's, it's the market's responsibility to kill you. Like, but that, (laughs) but that like, because the administration is so ill-equipped and ill-prepared, um, and like Trump personally has no like ability to to lead or handle anything that like they're literally doing all of that. They're doing as much work as they possibly can to sort of like offload blame, like pre offloading <laughs> blame. Right. Or like spreading it around to make it a little even. Right. Less right. the impact it, by by putting a little here, a little there. Exactly. He would much, much rather than have to like actually go into the office and like talk to people, listen to them, and then, like, make decisions, he would far prefer to basically be like, this guy's handling that, this guy's handling that, this guy's handling that, and I'm going to go golf. And, like, that's essentially, (laughs) it seems like, what their response has been thus far. And this guy is, like, you mean CVS is handling this, this, Walmart's handling this. No, no, not even even fucking officials. Like, literally, this is what I mean by, like, trotting out out a series of private-public partnerships. It's literally, like, oh, you thought, uh, oh, uh, people should, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to being, like, people should have, uh, you know, confidence in their, their, like, uh, CDC or even at this point maybe, like, FEMA or something. No, your local drive-thru CVS, folks. Right, yeah, no. 
now you're gonna like who who do you who do you trust like everyone trusts walmart with their life right right <laughs> we all do right. that i mean i mean can i can i can i be like i, I don't know i i, I don't want to be too like contrarian but like because that's stupid at the moment like this but i mean i think people do actually ironically trust like companies like walmart with some aspect of their lives yes yeah. I mean, for yeah, real, I, the, like the levels of public trust in like Amazon are like really high for, I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're not, they're not high w- for good reason, but no. they're higher than like the CDs. They're higher than like the CDC. They're higher than a lot right. of the government agencies in general. And so I think the really yeah. disturbing thing is that like, yeah, maybe uh public trust in, in like these companies is unreasonably mm-hmm. high. It's higher than say government. But that doesn't mean that they are in a moment like this, the right actors or have any of the right uh, incentives to be leading or expected to like take a leadership (laughs) role in this crisis. That is just because people might view them less unfavorably than they do the the federal government or Trump uh, himself or the White House that like they should be leading. That is this is we are now seeing how. how just intellectually bankrupt that idea that like, especially in times of crisis that like these corporations can do anything. socially, so anything's socially responsible. Well, and it yeah. was, t- it was telling when you saw all those guys like standing behind Trump at the press conference and they all kind of had this look on their face where they were sort of a, a little bit like deer in headlights. Cause they were like, wait, we were told if we came here, we would make some money. Like, uh, we th- right. We I mean, this, oh, I think this they will about- be making money. Oh yeah, they they <laughs> definitely will. But it's like you know they're not they're seemingly kind of more transparent about like yeah we're here to make money. That's the only thing that we do. Like, I mean, even beyond that, like I think it's worth stating that sort of down to the very core of the the, the administration, these are people who do like Phil. You're right. Legitimately, fundamentally trust private companies more than anything else. If you just think about right. Trump's germophobia, right, which we've talked about not so much on this podcast, but is a pretty well-known thing. You know, Trump is kind of afraid of getting poisoned. And so he would prefer to eat fast food in McDonald's because he says that because of their scale, like and because of capitalism, it's too expensive for them to allow someone to be poisoned. Right. Which is laughable from the perspective of someone on the working class because or anyone who's worked in food service because like the bigger the operation, the greater the health risk. Yeah. Often. Also, um, he's ironically slowly poisoning himself. Exactly. But, you know, it's like <laughs> if that's sort of obviously clearly a foundational worldview for Trump. Right. Mm-hmm. If the, if brands equal safety and because, much of his cohort, I think. Right. Brands equal safety because it's not that there's like the invisible hand of the market, but that the sort of invisible mass of consumers is the leverage somehow that keeps everyone towing the line, mm-hmm. even though I think the only people who who have that idea are CEOs and people who run the companies. I think right. most people who use these companies are disabused with the idea that they are responsible. I mean, anyone that's tried right. to return anything to Amazon, they still might say that they trust Amazon, but then they're like, what the fuck? Like, I can't even return it. I can't even like 
talk to someone for 72 hours because mm-hmm. the packages, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like they trust it and they trust it and they trust it because they've never had to actually interface with it. Right. Like an average and person. And think of like the persistence of uh, like DMV jokes. Right. I mean, right. to someone like Trump right. and to, to, I think like probably almost everyone in the executive branch at this point has been appointed by them. Like the, like McDonald's is an institution. Right. You and know. if you think about there's, how there's like a Dana Carvey, there's the a whole CDC. Dana Carvey bit in his most recent stand up where he's like, which is terrible. Uh, but like, <laughs> yeah, he has a whole, he's like, you know, capitalism is, is an Apple store and like socialism is the DMV. You know, right. that, that's, that's the whole bit. Right. But the, you know, the thing is like, <laughs> unfortunately though, you know, what we have is like, a system in the United States where if you are wealthy, you can buy your way out of interfacing with the public inner like infrastructure, right? Right, right? Like every single sort of service that's marketed towards rich people in one way or another is about creating a privatized layer as a go between, between whatever they need from the state and um, them, you know, think of just like, uh, like on demand helicopter stuff, right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, accountants, Right. Right. You know, this their entire lives, they're dependent on having these like commercial intermediaries in order to get through life. Right. Of course, they don't have any faith in anything. Well, and let's I I mean, sorry, already go ahead. I I think that this is good because we need to we can't uh, linger on all all of the two like too, too long. But like, I think that this is actually maybe a really good sort of transition point, uh, that point that be just made because like in some ways like think of so you know if you watch trump's press conference and you're like flustered by it or whatever and it's like you know it's right to be absolutely frustrated by this response like and angry and and you should be terrified by it it should not be i think they're doing a lot of the work of like trying to reassure people say it'll be fine i mean trump has been towing the line for you know, weeks at this point, that's like, it's a foreign disease or whatever, like literally means nothing clinically speaking. We're going to close this off by like closing off the, the borders, et cetera. Like, like we're, we're so good. Like cases are going down or whatever. Like, and no, like what you, what we do need is like testing. So we know even the scale of this, which I guarantee is a lot bigger than we understand currently. Um, and like treatment and we need a very quick response plan to deal with like coming like ventilator shortages like they're seeing in Italy. Cause like, and I know UK that, already. right. Cause I know that some people think that this is like a conspiracy theory, but no, it's like very true when they say like, we're like a week behind where Italy is right now. I think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, I mean, this was a conversation we were having last night in the group chat, which was like, Vince, you were like, you and I were talking and you were like, well, how many cases do you, your best guess be? Like, do you think we actually have in New York? And I was like, I can't, I don't think that there's an expert that could responsibly tell you, you know what I mean? Um, Like we should talk about like sort of what this actually structurally is as a virus, as a pandemic, as a public health Mm -hmm. crisis and as a, you know, crisis of social government. Particularly Mm -hmm. in, as we're in like part one. Right. Uh, like which will be which will be public. So this is like I think some of the most even like relevant specific information to get out because it's not I think so commonly understood. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know it's being downplayed across the board, and that's not exactly the right way to do it. Many physicians are frustrated, particularly in Italy um, and the UK, because they've had a lot of hard times preparing for this and are having an even harder time dealing with it. You know, I think a lot of people like to think of healthcare 
Um, I mean, we say this all the time. People think that when you're very sick or very disabled, that somehow you automatically just things are handled, right? That there's a certain point you get to where it's sort of like you enter this socialist time suspension, right? Where all of a sudden, like the world is Marxist and it's all there to make you safe and healthy. And we have this idea, I think, based a lot on like the way that emergency trauma medicine and like interventional critical care is shown on television, right? We Mm -hmm. have George Clooney breaking laws and doing everything to save grandma, right? Like, and then like maybe dating the daughter afterwards, which Mm -hmm. is like so inappropriate. But you know what I mean? Like it's... But in reality... Grandma just dies. In the, in the reality, like <laughs> we, the hospital I mean, might only have eight ventilators and ten patients who need them, and grandma's the oldest, and so grandma doesn't get it. Yeah, right. And that, right. or grandma's on Medicaid, and so the hospital decides and to to put to intubate the patient that has Cadillac insurance because they'll be paid more than grandma who has Medicaid. And not just right. grandma, because we have had this. I mean, just to be really real about this, we've had this conversation recently, which is like. With the kind of medical chart that like B has, right? B's mm-hmm. disabled. She has immuno. Uh, she has like an immunological condition. B is not uh, when emergency rooms and stuff start doing triage for this and start doing what essentially becomes like you know like in in, in Italy we straight up see that like the way that they are uh, as a broad based policy dealing with this is to say like over a certain age you're like cut off, but at and you like basically will not receive a ventilator like someone like B so young people that you know or also are likely to be in this position even too. not like even not like immunocompromised people let's just say um let's say you're totally healthy but you have a 10-year history of smoking which is not unheard of for people who are 30 years old and live in new york city yeah right um or you're in the south and racist doctor uh, right exactly <laughs> right. um like but let's say you're a smoker right or a recent former smoker depending on how bad this gets, that could disqualify you from being able to get a ventilator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are looking at um, a limited supply. There is not unlimited ICU beds. There are not unlimited pulmonary ICU doctors. Mm-hmm. There are doctors in Washington state who are neurologists who are doing shifts in the pulmonary ICU because they have no one. You right. know, the federal government is allowing medical students like more ability to practice than they're normally allowed to like this is a crisis where we have a shortage of literally every component involved in it and i think that's very important to understand because i don't think people understand how limited it is you know these kids who are like oh i'm fine i'm young i'm not going to get sick like whatever it's not just that they're not thinking that they could be healthy carriers right but in their mind i think that they think that like intensive care is unlimited Mm -hmm. because it's intense so it's like well, of course, when it gets that bad, the hospital's there for you, right? George Clooney's there. He's going to fix right. it because you're that sick. Well, the reality is you might be that sick and still in a gurney on the hallway. You might be that sick right. and die before you get to triage. Right. You might be that sick and be triaged out of care. Or into the quote-unquote dirty zone of the hospital. Right. If you right. Tell, I don't know if you want to tell that story on the podcast. Yeah, so like in Italy, right, they um, they started out by having a sort of initial bloom of cases. I think it was in Lombardy, which is sort of like a higher socioeconomic area um, towards, yeah, older, more uh, wealthy. It's towards the north. So you sort of initially had like the um, fast spread of fast community spread of COVID-19 in the north of Italy and earlier in 
the week they decided preemptively to shut down the entire country, even though cases were just popping up in the South. Their assumption was that they were only just popping up in the South because people tend to be younger and lower income, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in Italy, they are completely overwhelmed. Doctors have been sharing threads. I don't necessarily recommend reading the threads themselves if you are anxious about this stuff because it is super duper trigger warning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just to sort of give you guys an overview, not to freak anyone out, but so like they started preparing for this coming, right? And they started trying to discharge as many people as possible, you know, get supplies, get everything in order. And they thought they were sort of ready and cases started coming in and they started, you know, getting full and they were like, things are kind of okay, but Italy still wasn't like shut down yet, right? right? Mm -hmm. Well, then three or four days into them sort of being overwhelmed, but keeping a lid on it, they crossed the threshold. You have dozens of healthcare workers themselves now testing positive. They've brought it home to their families. Their families have spread it in their communities. The system was overwhelmed immediately, mm -hmm. right? This right. is the idea of like, we are past containment, Right. Yeah. We right. need to deal with the current, right. you know, vector of minimizing the, the amount of spread that takes place. Right. Because yeah. they're right. at this point now where they lost the opportunity for containment. And so they are um, overwhelmed and there's no one left to treat anyone and there's no supplies and they're running out of ventilators and they're running out of beds. And what they've had to do is they've had to tape off the hospital like there's a tape line in a lot of the hallways separating the clean side of the hospital from the dirty side of the hospital. And so when you cross from the clean side into the dirty side of the hospital, which is like two thirds of every hospital now, you just assume that every single surface is contagious. Yeah. And they are literally having to treat the entire space, the infrastructure of the building as contagious because it is that dense in terms of treating people. And this is a disease that spreads through droplets, right? So it's through aspirated spit and snot and just body fluids. Yeah. So it's everywhere. And this is unfortunately like the day-to-day, -day, 12 to 18 to 20 hours a day, these healthcare workers are stepping into a space that 360 degrees around them is considered to be highly contagious. Yeah, right. And totally. they're trying to treat people and they don't have supplies. And it's it, the fundamental thing is that like, well, we can't just like ship them more respirators. They have to be made. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Like this is not, you know, and you're, we're seeing China do that. China has responded to their um, problems in the medical supply chain by converting buildings into new hospitals in as little as 10 days, creating ICU units in office buildings, um, shifting like, uh, partially uh, machine operate or robot operated factories that can manufacture medical supplies to manufacturing medical supplies with like minimal human contact in the factories. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so you've got a coordinated effort to like try and address the medical supply chain issue. Right. And we're just not seeing that happen elsewhere. Yeah. Unfortunately. And we're only, getting, only happening getting, in it's bad. But the other thing that's worth noting is that like, China has, well, some ability to do that because they already produce an enormous amount of the world's medical supplies and, like, 
medicine itself. Right, which is a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. Because also, um, I don't know, I, I think even it's telling that the the responses that are hap- that to the extent that there are similar responses that are happening in the United States, they are like a shade of the seriousness of them. And they are, again, I think, redounding to the the willful action of uh, state of like either at the state or municipal level. You see that with things like um, they're talking about in Philadelphia reopening Hanneman Hospital, which just fucking closed, which the which Bernie Sanders literally last year. Right. Uh, like stood uh, with uh, striking workers and people rallying like community people, uh, community members like rallying to make sure that the hospital wasn't closed. It was closed. And now like Surprise. great, great time for the hospital to have fucking closed. Right. You mm-hmm. know, for this hospital that serves so many people like um, now Philadelphia is talking about reopening it specifically as like, you know, a coronavirus coronavirus like crisis center because they, you know, at least of one because they will need they several know, they, they'll need a lot more capacity than they currently have mm-hmm. um but even so you know this the you know this thing about like ventilators which like i mean i think it's important to how to put it i think one thing that's really interesting to me b which i think talking to you has been sort of revealing i think for me is like even just understanding kind of like what happens or how this like actually spreads like what droplet protocol is for example, yeah, I, I feel like, um, I feel like a lot of, cause you know, there, there are like jokes or whatever about like, Oh, wash your hands, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, no, not jokes, not Very jokes good about, advice. I know not jokes, but like, no, no. I mean, there, there's like a lot of, there is, there is widespread, you know, messaging about like, Oh, the best thing that you can do is wash your hands or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's not totally true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it is true. Wash your hands all the time. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. Do the, like, I think it'll be funny. Cause like, I hope, I hope this entire generation of mm-hmm. Americans basically learns the, uh, surgical hand washing technique essentially from having to deal with this virus and survive it. Right. Yeah. But like, um, maybe I should start making some instructional videos or something. That would, from be, home. That would be a good, uh, that would actually probably like kill on Instagram stories, just long videos of you <laughs> washing your hands. Um, but I don't know. Um, I think like, it's interesting to hear about like why, cause like how, what particular facets of this virus and the way that it works, make it so, uh, right. like hard, like, you know, hard to, well, do you um, guys know what droplet precautions would entail? Like, let's say, um, why don't you Vince- describe it? Like Vince, yeah, let's say your it. roommate starts having symptoms, mm-hmm. and uh, what do you do? Do you know? Uh, burn them. That's <laughs> <laughs> burn Wicker them. Man. Their clothes. Burn Punch the apartment. Fire. The whole block. Um, I don't know. That sounds like a lot. Like burn probably me, how we would have everything. dealt with it in the 1800s. Yeah. But um, we don't have to do that anymore. So I think an important thing to do is if you live with others. Um, to the best of your abilities, you should establish in advance a plan for what will be the hot zone. Um, if you have more than one restroom in your apartment, that should include a room where the person who is um, showing symptoms or is not feeling well can be isolated and mm-hmm. theoretically, hopefully also use their own bathroom. Now, let's say Artie and I got sick or one of us got sick. We don't really have that option. Right. So that makes it a lot more complicated. But if you do have a place that can become a hot zone in your house, please throw whoever is sniffly the fuck in there. Yeah. Right. So let's say you have a roommate um, who has symptoms. You've put them in the hot zone. Now you're going to put in place droplet precautions. Okay, so droplet precautions are basically used when you may have germs in your lungs or throat. 
um, like those caused by the flu or COVID, which can be anything from the common cold to, um, you know, SARS to COVID-19. And um, basically, any of those germs that are in your lungs and throat can spread via droplets from your mouth or nose, either when you speak, sneeze, or cough, or when people touch the surfaces around where you have spoken, sneezed, or coughed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So essentially, just everywhere around you, you're covering in microscopic droplets of fluid with germs in it. Yeah, which is how these Regardless things work. Regardless of whether you're sick or not, basically. So if you've got um, if you've got a roommate that has this and you've got them isolated, you should be cleaning your hands frequently. You should put a sign on their door, like to remind yourself, like don't open the door if you don't have like Clorox wipes to clean the handle and clean. You know, like don't. Mm-hmm. Open the door without a mask on. You can put um, food outside the door and then walk away and they can bring it in, right? You you want to wear a mask and eye protection if you're anywhere near them. You want to try and stay six feet away at all times if possible. Um, make sure to put masks and gloves and cleaning supplies outside of the door so it's easily accessible. The person inside should be cleaning their hands frequently, especially when they're coughing and sneezing because you don't want to reinfect yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, you should be sure that anyone that's like entering the room is like fully covered and protected. Um, you, you should only leave the room if it's medically necessary. Um, and essentially just assume that everything is contagious. Yeah. And so that's going to mean that the person who is ill should probably be cleaning the surfaces around them as well. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say you're sharing a bathroom. If the person uses the bathroom, they're going to have to clean their way out and back into the room. And then if you use it afterwards, you should put on gloves and a mask and eye protection and you should change and shower your clothes afterwards. The best thing you can do is to wet whatever it is, rub it with warm water and, you know, take a hot shower, soap up head to toe as often as you can, you mm-hmm. know, and that's sort of like the seems very simple. Maybe I don't know if it seems paranoid to do, but this is literally just kind of the baseline way to keep it as contained as possible within a small space yeah i mean that's not really most of what i meant though because that's i think most people are not going to be in a situation yet where their roommate like has it necessarily so then we're talking about i'm not and i'm not trying to necessarily get you to like give a psa but i think for example like it's one thing to tell people what to do it's another thing to like tell people how like how we're doing because we well we could tell people how we're doing it which i think could be useful but also that like I guess more of what I meant is how much does like just washing your hands do and like what, uh, what, how does that work? Right, right. So essentially like the virus has a membrane, right? All cells have membranes and COVID virus, like very similar to H1N1 and other mammalian flus. Um, the membrane is a lipid based membrane. So that so like means a fat or something? it's yeah, or it's, oil? it's a fat, it's a type of fat. And the virus essentially has these receptors on it. Um, the reason why it's so hard to track them down is because there are so many different receptors from mammalian flus of which COVID is one. Um, but they do all have the same membrane, which is again, lipid based. So the membrane itself is incredibly vulnerable to soap, right? Just think about cleaning like a greasy pan. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, so soap and lather. 
right? The most important thing is the lather because that's what will disrupt the membrane. So once you have that, either the hot water or um, alcohol in the case of hand sanitizer, you're then going to kill it. Right. right? Mm -hmm. You just got to break through that membrane. So it's the most important thing. I think if you're washing your hands is to use plenty of soap. Um, Mm -hmm. If your hands are visibly dirty, you should be preferably washing them, not just using hand sanitizer because that dirt and any oils on your skin that have built up or lotion, the hand sanitizer will prevent that from really getting anything that's underneath it. So hand sanitizer is a fantastic backup, not the fancy ones that have essential oils. You have to use hand sanitizer that's at least 60% isopropyl alcohol. Wasn't there, uh, like the, uh, the Walgreens near us there, there were people, or they were selling like, um, what was it like baby oil or something? Aloe, yeah. Yeah. Selling aloe saying you could like combine it with rubbing alcohol so that it would be, and that works, but like they didn't have no, you can. You can, but they didn't have rubbing alcohol right. anymore, so oh, they were just God, people, so people were just, just buying, buying baby oil. No, for <laughs> aloe, aloe, yeah. Aloe, yeah. No. Yeah. But, so don't don't do that. Well, if well, you I, have rubbing really, alcohol, you can buy it, but it has to be a one part, um, one part to six part, basically. Yeah, no, I, one ounce I weirdly, to six ounces. I weirdly, because of uh, like nerdy computer building reasons, have um, <laughs> many. I know, just go with me on this. Weirdly, have many bottles of ninety nine percent or ninety one percent rubbing alcohol in my house. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, so I'm good. Um, I mean, I think if you're I'm, in a major pinch, you can also use certain types of mouthwash, depending on the percentage percentages again you will want to look at that and mouthwashes are not necessarily as helpful because they do have sugar and sugar feeds the virus right because sugar so you know these things are kind of looking for sugar they're looking for protein in your body when they get into your bloodstream they're incredibly sneaky they're slippery they are hard to find etc so the best thing you can do is sort of to prevent them to get in there by killing the shit out of them yeah and Mm -hmm. really make sure like wash your hands on the front side wash the top of each hands in between your fingers wash under your nails and like hold your thumb and do sort of like a donut around your thumb you know and then do the whole thing again and do that with hand sanitizer or soap or also like um because again because of that like the uh soap and other disinfectants like breaking down the membrane thing what we are essentially doing and what i would say maybe if like if there's if there starts to be like a huge outbreak in your city or like even if there are a bunch of cases documented in your neighborhood one thing that like if you're especially if you're immune compromised um you know if you're immune compromised you probably already know this because part of the reason that this is kind of interesting or like i that i think like b is a particularly interesting source for information on this is because Living as an immune compromised person, she basically has to do a lot of these precautions anyway. Right. <laughs> um, well, this is my this is my third time having to self isolate. The first one was in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. um, and the second one was in two thousand twelve for MERS. And you know, it's like this is the first time actually that it's really made landfall in the U.S. Yeah. Right. Because H one N one in two thousand nine didn't really have a lot of cases in the United States nor did swine flu, nor did the other bird flus, nor did SARS, nor did MERS. But so what we're doing essentially is um, we're because we know that there are a bunch of documented cases in Manhattan and we also live near Hospital Row where a bunch of these cases are going to end up going like um, 
We're just being we're, extra careful. We're being extra careful. Like, um, like we've, we'll, we'll go out for supplies or whatever. Um, but then when we come back, we just like immediately shower and change essentially. And like mm-hmm. the, the clothes that we were wearing before they like, uh, go like directly in like a pile to be cleaned. Right. Do, you make, do you make airlock sounds when you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I would. that's what you I would know, do. I'm saying, I'm not going to say that if we had a zip wall, I would have made an airlock situation at the front door, <laughs> but if we had a zip wall already and they weren't like 250 bucks for the starter kit, we would have sort of an airlock situation. Open the pod bay door. doors B. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't be too careful. Again, you, you know, the best thing you can really do if you're immune compromised like me or your partner is immune compromised is to sort of just not, you can't be too careful, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, you can basically clean your apartment as best you can and treat your apartment as the clean side of the hospital. So whenever you leave the clean side of the hospital or your apartment, you assume that every single surface is contagious. And when mm-hmm. you come back, you make sure not to bring any of that as far into the clean space as possible and to mm-hmm. clean up after yourself. Yeah, It's kind of complicated, but not really, actually. It's really just you got to think about it like handling raw meat or something. Yeah, you don't totally. want the chicken juice to touch anything else in the kitchen. So you have to just sort of use that and expand it to your whole life. <laughs> and, should we, and, and, and I mean, is it worth saying that like if you are not immune compromised at this point that 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 kind of a procedure is probably more than you do need. But I mean, is it like that's, you know, like th- this is sort of like what I'm trying to ask if you should be showering. Vince is asking if there's home. chicken yeah, juice I mean, like, all over Do I need to shower? House. Like I hate, you know, I don't do like, yeah, do you don't like showers? More than I hate once a shower. Week or, yeah. I hate showering. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, Here, no, but, here's the but, thing. The frat houses of America are decimated. <laughs> I, I feel you. I totally feel you. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a lot, right? And you don't necessarily, yeah, you don't necessarily need to be as vigilant as Artie and I need to be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, would it hurt? Not necessarily, it's not going to hurt to do it as much as you can. You know, if someone becomes sick in your house, you're going to want to do it completely Mm -hmm. because the thing to remember is yes. Young, healthy people and children technically are pretty okay with this. Mm-hmm. But that's not for sure because there are actually two strains of SARS-2 COV-19. And one of them, which is the one that really ravaged Wuhan, China, there are that one is much more aggressive and much more deadly. So this mm-hmm. disease is also constantly evolving because that's how flu and viruses like COVID work. And mm-hmm. and and it's worth saying actually that in both Wuhan and in Italy there are a lot of people um I there, there is a refrain I've heard a lot um from people who are locals there saying like don't mess around with this like I have like I have seen plenty of like young people be fine and then suddenly like very quickly their symptoms turn they don't have comorbid- comorbidities they right, right. like they're young healthy people like and, and there are it, a lot of it literally has killed them so do- there's a lot of reported documentation that that especially for certain people who that there's like essentially two stages of the disease process um where you sort of start by having more mild symptoms, right? Um, And then you sort of enter the second stage. Um, Mm -hmm. So the first stage is called AR 
DS, which is like, it's sort of a cough. You've got this pulmonary situation. Um, you've got some, some risk of having like further complications, but it's this actual second stage where, um, there's sort of like a second reaction with the possibility of developing like bacterial sepsis and the disease gets much worse quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. and sort of out of nowhere with no warning. Um, Mm -hmm. so now like, this does not mean you need to be paranoid, but I don't think that you could be too careful. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as it is not a detriment to your mental health. Right. Yeah. And if you're struggling with your mental health, like please reach out to someone or mm-hmm. to us, you know, whatever, join the discord. Um, yeah. And because we don't know, I mean, if we want to think about that, we haven't experienced anything of the scale in the modern era, the last mm-hmm. pandemic anywhere close to this was 1967. And that was fundamentally a totally different, um, global economy different travel, different yeah. states of business, That's different point. different types of just f- human interaction and the supply chain is huge compared to then, you know, mm-hmm. right? like we've sort of set up the infrastructure for this to be really bad since 2008, both with yeah. the like sort of erosion of job protections and paid time off and the like surge of gig economy workers and on-demand delivery, right? Right. Like... You know, this could easily spread through a warehouse of people who are otherwise healthy but are slightly immune compromised because they're exhausted because they're being overworked at a fulfillment center for Amazon to deliver hand sanitizer to everybody. Right. Which, again, I think is where it gets like really interesting for us. And I mean, not interesting, maybe is like the wrong word choice. So they don't necessarily want to be insensitive, especially insensitive in the long run, considering what is likely about to happen and the gravity that people I think will understand that is here Mm -hmm. um but like you know those sorts of effects again with this happening at the intersection of like okay we're this this strikes not just like things like i think people have um when people talk about the economy and and covid obviously like there are you know we've seen thankfully a lot uh, more and more people say like you know people are like especially service workers gonna like lose their jobs over this Mm -hmm. they we also hear about like potential impacts to the supply chain basically um things like you know the even the uh a lot of the like the production of the raw materials for drugs for example um even like the 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 raw materials come from uh china and a lot of that is being a lot of that trade is being restricted right now and production in general there is like is down way down mm-hmm. um so but we also have like a bunch of people you know they're gonna like be quarant- like self-quarantining and doing like social distancing potentially for a very long time especially if people ignore this for longer and it spreads right. worse the longer we ignore this and the longer we don't take the, the sort of utmost personal measures that we can to do our best the longer this is gonna go right and, you right. know I, I think like i think you're right Artie. this is broadly you know what we've seen so far of the response and containment and in italy in particular and italy has um single payer fyi basically yeah. you know they're like our single payer is not robust enough shit we need an nhs too yep you know mm-hmm. and i think that this is a sort of a moment where um so many of the quote-unquote uh, absolute rules or primary directives of capitalism yeah. right like oh we can't give you paid time off that that's bad for business or oh no we can't we can't give you sick pay that's you know bad for innovation or whatever you know 
these things are being laid bare is not necessary, mm-hmm. right? These things that we've been told can't be overturned or can't be done or f- impossible, right? Are suddenly a little less important to maintain. Yeah. You know, like we've got the, uh, the sort of situation where, um, yes, this is affecting the hotel industry and airlines and resorts. Mm-hmm. Um, however, this is also affecting service workers and Uber drivers and whoever. Um, Any who, works, anyone who works any kind of like convention center right? or anything. Art yeah. handlers, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, all art workers are pretty much affected by this. And these are already people who don't earn very much money and are already yeah. living precariously. You know, like, okay, but what's going on? Oh, no, no, no. A $1.5 trillion bailout to small businesses and the uh, hosp- hospitality industry who's suffering so much yeah. because all of the mid-level managers to upper-income people are canceling their air travel and vacation, you know. Right. Or or doing different types of travel. I was thinking about this uh, the other day, actually, in terms of like the, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned on the podcast that it's interesting that uh, it did that it did originally kind of spread through these like financial zones, these like major financial centers. Right, right. Um, stay with me here. But I've I've begun <laughs> to sort of uh, think about it as a sort of trickle down virus. Already rolling out <laughs> like a whiteboard now. It has oh, a bunch yeah. of lines drawn yeah. on it and where there's some string. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we know that we know that. No, no. Here's here. Here are the strings. I, I will I will illustrate this whiteboard for you with uh, with sweet, sweet language. Um, now just the, picture Charlie day while already talks. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, more like, uh, not Rush Limbaugh. Who's the guy more like Glenn Beck. Oh, I think of it. Um, so like we know, for example, that like Jamie Dimon said that thing, uh, on like a investor call. Oh, that um, he had a dream. Everyone got COVID at Davos. Yeah, exactly. That like all the, all the rich people, uh, like had it or got it. Uh, like and transmitted it to each other at Davos and then they went and infected other people and I want to just say possible totally possible he did step down recently uh, and the line is that not to be conspiratorial about this which this is absolutely a, a baseless conspiracy theory I am saying and it is one of my own inventions so do not take this literally <laughs> should we say but, this for the second half right no but uh, but consider that like um, consider that Jamie Dimon has recently stepped down uh, temporarily. They said that he has, like, they said that he had, uh, like, heart surgery, basically, which, you know, could, it's possible that... Anyway, this is... Bef- but he did... <laughs> and this happened... Anyway. This did happen slightly before <laughs> there were U.S. cases, so maybe, I don't know, if you're running a gigantic bank, like, you don't want investors to panic thinking Wait, the think- head of Chase has coronavirus. <laughs> I don't know. Again, a baseless conspiracy theory. No, Do not I'm repeat in- that. That's definitely not what happened. However, yeah. let's imagine that they did spread it from Davos. That then spreads to their managers, like the managerial class immediately underneath them. It spreads to who benefits immediately from uh, work from home stuff mm-hmm. than the managerial right. uh, positions. They go, they work from home, they have maybe a buffer or they maybe But they have, keep going out to dinner or so maybe, the service workers still have to work and then they maybe, infect them. Just maybe they're in New York City, they see, or anywhere else where there's an outbreak, they see oh, there's, uh, there are more and more cases being declared every day. They themselves have it but they don't have oh, symptoms shit. yet and they decide that because they get to work from home for a couple of weeks, they're going to fuck off to their vacation house. Oh, shit. 
Yep. Right. Just saying. Oh, shit. So if you... Okay, if wait. That, if somehow you're listening to this and that describes your position, do not fuck off to your vacation house. Okay, please. so wait. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's say this theory again, possibly without the Jamie Dimon part, because that part <laughs> is totally like a fabricated joke. But because this did literally spread through class lines mm-hmm. using travel, right? Like, and it is literally trickling down through each socioeconomic bracket and i've seen a lot of like wealthy people getting into their bmws holding their louis vuitton epi that's like full of like a weekend full of stuff while they have a surly teenager like packing up the car holding a teddy bear this weekend like mom i want to play my switch like she's (laughs) like we're going to katona get in the car I I, i do think the comparison is apt because you know much like trickle down economics once this trickles down to the working class it hammers them hard but yeah. yeah i mean yeah it, it, you know if if it's i mean it goes back to 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 like droplet protocol right you know <laughs> you don't have to do droplet protocol you don't have to know droplet protocol if you know you have a second home where you can quarantine that fucking teenager because <laughs> like you know uh, right. And if these people and... are healthy carriers, though, they're going to bring it to rural areas who have less access to health care. Right. Yeah. Right. And they're going to so over, it's... you know, it's one thing to overwhelm a gigantic metropolitan hospital. Right. It right. is another thing to try and get treated for an acute illness in a hospital where one doctor is there. Right. Is on call. And there are many, many hospitals in rural America where there is a single attending physician for the whole hospital and things like surgeons so that they travel around the county from hospital to hospital as needed. So sometimes you can have like emergency surgery three days after needing it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how's that going to go, you know, when all the people who run the general store, you know, who live in these communities full time near your vacation house when they get sick? Yeah. Because they can't fuck off back to Manhattan in a, in an on-demand helicopter. Right. You right. know what I mean? Well, but I think this is actually why, I mean, there's a, there's a secondary effect of, of this, which is that like in the way that we describe how people should respond, like some of the messages coming from, uh, from government sources are like, you know, consult with your doctor about, uh, right. X, Y, and Z. It's like, because you Who, definitely have a PCP. Because you definitely have one, right? Uh, right. You know, and you're definitely not worried about whether or not you're going to be uh, billed for uh, for the test. You're, and you're not worried about, like, whether or not you're going to have to pay for, for whatever treatments uh, are, are going to be necessary in the end. This is just the idea that these rules that actually make it easier for people of means to deal with whatever, come what may... Uh, just even just get embedded linguistically into how we describe this phenomenon as a, as something of, uh, about public health, which is the whole concept of public health is that it shouldn't make, uh, these sorts of, uh, distinctions and that it should be applicable to a, you know, quote unquote population. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that translational work doesn't get done. Um, at all. And so, yeah, we have these recommendations to people that are just completely, I mean, no wonder people don't pay attention to them because they, in many cases don't apply. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, right. And I think that's the most worrisome thing with like the lack of, of any coherent response from like either the federal government or the CDC or the WHO is just that like, you know, uh, you can always figure out a person to person, uh, response that works for people 
with means. Uh, but right. like there isn't a sense that like like this is the one fucking time when everybody just needs to essentially be like, look, we're all going to get this. We're all in this. Let's all work together, uh, you know, and acknowledge that we like live in society and that we're not <laughs> atomized, you know, consumers who are all fending for our own needs. It's like, let's right. all just let's all just like think back and reestablish that social compact where we all agree to not, you know, be selfish and fuck this up. Like, right. it's you know, there there isn't really anybody going out there and saying that right now like that obviously should be the job of like federal government officials like Not i just mean that, the death panel <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it should be that should be the job of of politicians right like not to tell us uh what to do or how to respond but like to not panic and to work together um right exactly and and i think the most disturbing thing you know that i've seen or haven't seen thus far is that like you know i'm not hearing that from anybody uh you know who who holds an executive position in government like all the way down the line yeah i mean I actually say- I, for one reason or another i think you're more apt to hear it from say your well it wouldn't be in the in the guise of we all have to work together but more just uh, we have to really seriously assess these risks and you have to take measures to respond. I I think you see that frankly more among some large employers. Um, Yeah. But, but at the same time, like, yes, they advance that, but are they are employers that have self-insured plans, uh, insurance plans, are they forwarding information about how you won't have to pay for the test? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, this, this sort of ERISA application of yeah. uh, free testing is still like a, a lingering question. So this is, you know, the, in, in many ways, like we're going to have to rely on people outside of the state to, to provide these messages, but do we really depend on them to do that? I think that's the real, <laughs> that's the real question you have right. to, to ask yourself. Do you really uh, expect like market actors to like be able to yeah, uh, I mean, I was, to do this I, kind of work? I was joking um, on Twitter just uh, just yesterday that basically like, you know, the people who if if you're one of the, you know, no, no judgment here. But if you're if you're one of the people who like watches uh, the West Wing or something to like see the good president res- like respond the good way to the bad thing or something. Mm-hmm. Cause it just like mm-hmm. makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside to see, uh, you know, Jed Bartlett get up there and like say some shit about God and how he mm-hmm. wants to cut social security. Um, <laughs> then you should, uh, you know, and in light of like the complete mismanagement and like bullshit, mm-hmm. uh, that's happening in the Trump administration right now, then, uh, either you or like, if you have people like that in your life, send them Bernie's, uh, covid speeches from Mm -hmm. uh yesterday and the day before because they are like phenomenal they encourage mutual aid uh and they also encourage and uh you know stump directly for the types of like big social programs that we would need to actually not even respond to this crisis but to be prepared Mm -hmm. for this in the first place um at all i mean like be mentioned you know the like in italy they're 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 like, oh, wow, like we probably should have a national health system. Like, I think this is a great moment to not just advocate for Medicare for all, but also for an American NHS. Right. Well, right. And I mean, this is actually very consistent with the history of 
social provision, generally speaking. So uh, there's a, a scholar named Michelle Landis Dauber who has this book called The Sympathetic State. And her argument is that like the American welfare state, generally speaking, has uh, not evolved kind of consistently, but has evolved through lurching from, I mean, it's basically evolved through crisis to crisis. Exactly. And mainly the reason that was, at least in the late 19th century, was that the court's had a such a narrow interpretation about what general welfare meant in the constitution that the only way <laughs> right. that you could somehow justify the legal expansion of the authority of his state is through saying like, this is an exigency. This is an act of God. And what happened during the new deal was that through both uh, just like the way that the administration talked about it, the economic crisis and legally defended it, they had a way of making an economic crisis uh, seem like rhetorically a flood or some kind of force right. majeure uh, mm-hmm. act of God. But the, but that's abs and anyone who says like, this is not the moment, this is not the time to talk about, Oh, uh, God forbid, you know, we have, we actually have a larger discussion about, uh, uh, you know, social programs or Medicare for what, or at the very least saying like, yes, but, but only for now. Right. Um, right. that right. fundamentally, fundamentally misunderstands, how states and societies like co-evolve and develop. Yeah. Right. And that's including the big uh, legislative house package that we'll be talking about in part two. Right. Yeah. Yes, wait, I, I was going to say should much we, to say. It's, yes. <laughs> it's an hour. It's an hour and a half. We're at an hour and a half. Should we wrap? Yes. I was going to say, um, any, do we have any final thoughts before we get ready to move on to part two? I have a lot of thoughts for part two. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think so, that kind of brings us to, um, you know, we're going to continue this discussion. We'll take a, a little momentary. Uh, well, not for them. Intermission. Yeah. You know, there'll be a little intermission for them, too. Right. If, so, you're, if, if you're listening to this in, I uh, just because like since I'm going to edit this, uh, like so if you're listening to this in the uh, public feed, um go obviously and like hit our patreon and the way it's going to work is if like i'll put both i'll put the full thing as one thing with it mm-hmm. with the intermission intermission uh in the in the patron feed so like so yeah if you're listening to this and uh you're not a patron this will be the end and uh check out the the patreon for the our patreon for the rest of it um but uh if you're listening to if you're listening to this on our patreon feed and you're a patron We'll be right back, I guess. Yep. Just uh, just take a quick moment, get yourself a glass of water, and mm-hmm. um, wait on hold for just a sec. So that and you the can do some spit takes right coming back. up. Because yeah, yeah. it's juicy. Oh. But, you know, I think I'll just say as a final word, like, you know, now now is the time to, like, come together and push for the change that we need. We have a very unique opportunity, and we have a quick and dire crisis that we need to collectively address. Yeah. You know, we do not have time for a 10-year transition plan, right? We do not have time for temporary measures or anything like that. So wash your hands, take care of your neighbors, be safe. Lock up your doors, board up your windows. <laughs> Just kidding. No. <laughs> I ain't afraid of no roly coaster. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Lord. yes. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode and you're not a patron, become a patron at patreon.com slash death panel pod. 
Go ahead and join our Discord if you need some solidarity and mutual help to get through this. We've got a growing community and we're all here for each other. Um, and if you are a patron, sit tight and we'll be right back. Yeah. And for and if you're if you're not a patron, the, the things that we're going to talk about in part two right. um, specifically are uh, we have there's, there's a lot of wonk shit. Um, we do, you know, as you know, on the show, we we consider like uh, policy and legislation quite a bit and uh, social programs and things like that. So we're going to talk about um, the legislative response to COVID-19 in the house so far, the, the, uh, mm-hmm. the bill that passed the house that I guess the Senate is going to take its sweet time and uh, quote at some point next week vote on, which by <laughs> that point the crisis will have worsened too little too late. Uh, yeah. And then, um, is Mitch McConnell literally just working for the grim reaper. I am like curious. <laughs> um, and a number of other things, including, um, your questions. Yes. Uh, we, we solicited questions on this in our discord, join our discord and on Twitter, um, and, on Twitter uh, and elsewhere. We got a lot of really good pressing, uh, questions, some of which we've sort of tacitly, uh, answered a little bit of, uh, in this first part of the conversation, uh, making sure that we get some of the, like the basics of the information on what this is and how to deal with it out. Uh, mm-hmm. but other things, including like there are some just fun conspiracy theory things, uh, that people have asked about, um, and just basic information, yeah. whether it's, whether it's true or not. So we're going to be answering some of those, um, too. Uh, so look forward to that. Yep. Here we go. Um, all right, we'll catch you on the second half. Yep. Bye. 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 Stay um, alive another week. Or oh, yes. see you. <laughs> uh, wait, uh, should I do? We'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs>